Well, good morning, Fellowship Bible Church family and, uh, and many others uh, literally around the world who are uh, watching this morning, um, resurrection morning. Um, he is risen. That, that's the part where you say at home, he is risen indeed. So, so let's, let's do it again. Ready? He is risen. Okay, kids at home, help your parents out. Um, let's just really say this loudly, can you? Let's do it one more time. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, again, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. I, I, I wish that um, we were having our five services this Easter weekend um, and, and packed hallways and parking lots, um, but... But we don't. I'm here alone, and you're there. And um, uh, don't you long for the time when this is is all over? Um, I I long for the the day when I don't have to make a reference in a sermon to and use words like quarantine or isolation or pandemic, where we can just be all together again. I don't know about you, but I, I, I wish the people that are sick would be well. I, I, wish the, I, I wish the stock market was hovering back around 30,000. I wish that I could go to the store and get what I want and not worry about getting something I don't want, like a, like a virus. I, I appreciate the Zooming and the, and the conferencing that we can do online, but... Man, I don't know about you, but I, I, I long for a handshake or to get a hug or just to face-to-face it with people again someday. And on this Easter weekend, I, um, I, I wish that the thousands of people who have perished in this pandemic could be alive this weekend and hear the good news about Jesus' death and his resurrection. Our lives have clearly been disrupted. They have been altered in a major way. And I, for one, I don't like to be disrupted. I don't like to have my life altered. Well, we've been studying through the book of Romans here at Fellowship Bible Church. We've gotten stuck on Romans chapter 4 and the story of the life of Abraham a little bit. And um, I, I, wanna, I want us on this... Easter morning to go back to that story of Abraham. Don Den Hartog uh, led us off in that particular passage in the book of Genesis. And I want to I want to keep going in that theme a little bit this morning. Genesis chapter 22 um, is probably one of the most remarkable, crazy, unbelievable stories in the Bible. It's that story of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. So take your Bibles this morning, and um, let's go to Genesis 22. And by the way, if you've not seen our Good Friday, um, um, the, the whole service that was done on Good Friday, it's still on our webpage. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful worship experience, and quite frankly, it's timeless. So uh, please, if you haven't seen it, and even if you have, go back. It's a great worship um, uh, celebration of what Christ has done for us. Uh, again, FBCVA. Uh, dot life. Um, Genesis 22. So take your Bibles, Genesis 22. But before we get to Genesis 22, I want to get a little bit of the background here for us. Um, 
the, the story of Abraham and, and Sarah, if there was one sorrow that cut most deeply into the heart of Abraham and Sarah, it was um, th- this, this fact that they had no children. Sarah was barren. Abraham had no heir. And as, as time went on, and, and the possibility of that happening grew dimmer and dimmer, I'm sure that hope also faded in Genesis chapter 12, we read that um, Abraham is 75 years old now, so all hope of an heir is, is long gone. But it's in Genesis chapter 12 that God comes and he speaks to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. In fact, if you could count the stars, so will your descendants be, like the sands of the seashore. Here is a man who is childless, and yet God is saying, trust me, you're going to have descendants. Well, the waiting game began. Uh, That promise of God is reiterated in in Genesis chapter 13, and again in Genesis chapter 15, and, and yet the waiting game continued. There was no child. There was no heir. Eleven years passed Abraham is 86 years old. Uh, Sarah is 76 years old. And Abraham now has a son. But it was through Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. Remember the story? And the little boy is named Ishmael. And God says, no, he's not the one. He's not the promised one. And so the waiting game continues on and on and on. Another 13 years. And we come to Genesis chapter 17. And um, Abraham is now 99 years old. And God comes again and reiterates this promise. And it's recorded in chapter 17, verse 15 and 16, these words. Then then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And they waited. Another year goes by. Abraham is now 100 years old and Sarah is now 90 years old. And then it happened. Genesis 21, verse 2 and 3 records it. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. Isaac, Isaac. That name, Isaac, you may have it in a footnote in your, in your Bible, but that name, Isaac, means he laughs or laughter. Finally, uh, uh, the, the heir is born, the son. 25 years they waited. And then laughter comes. And can you imagine the home life? Can you imagine the excitement they were having? The, um, the joy, the, 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 the celebration, a son, the laughter I mean, I'm 100 years old, Abraham is saying, and Sarah's 90 years old, and yet God was true to his promise. And that celebration must have gone on and continued as the years went on, and, and little Isaac grows up into a, 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 a young man. And the joy continued, the laughter, the, the sense of the, the promise was fulfilled, God provided. How many times, I wonder, did Abraham look at Sarah and say, Pinch me, Sarah. Can you believe this? And Sarah would look into the eyes of Abraham and says, God is so good. He is so good. We are so blessed. 
But then Genesis chapter 22. And that's when Abraham's normal changed. That's, that's when Abraham's life got disrupted, got altered. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 2 begins on this ominous note. Now it came about after these things. When the laughter, when the rejoicing, when the, when, when the relishing of, of, of God's grace in providing Isaac... It came about after these things that the most difficult test in Abraham's long life began. If waiting for a son took faith, what we are about to read in Genesis 22 is the ultimate test of faith. No harder faith, a test of faith could be imposed upon Abraham than what we read Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2 says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham? And he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Incredible. Incredible. We don't know for sure how old Isaac was. Some say he could have been 12, 13, maybe 15. Some say maybe as old as even close to 20. But for years they have enjoyed the laughter of Isaac. And now God is saying, take that son of promise, the one that you love, and sacrifice him. God is asking him the journey to Moriah, the mountain of surrender, and sacrifice his beloved. Now, it's no question this is a very difficult passage. In fact, it's a, it's a kind of passage that skeptics and, and um, atheists love to turn to and, um, and, and scoff at our faith. Uh, in fact, Richard Dawkins, that infamous atheist, once said this about God. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. So said Richard Dawkins. Um, and a passage like this in Genesis 22, well, he would go to it and says it proves his point. Take now your son, your only son, the son that you love, the one who's given you laughter, and go kill him. Now, the, the purpose of this sermon uh, on Easter morning is not to answer the Richard Dawkinses of the world. Uh, there's plenty of other people who've done that quite sufficiently. But make no mistake, Genesis 22 is a difficult chapter. But it really did happen. And it is very unnerving. Moses, the author of these words, though, he lets us know up front that this was a test. It was only a test. It was a supreme test, but it was a test. Now, Abraham doesn't know that. 
So what does Abraham do? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verse 3. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took the two of his young men um, with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abram raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abram said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and will return to you. And Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, the Isaac, on, on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife and the two of them walked on together. Verse 7 says, Isaac spoke to Abram, his father, and he says, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abram said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them, they walked on together. I want you to, to put on your um, thinking or imaginative thinking for a moment and consider what must have been going through Abraham's mind, his heart, that that three days to Moriah. Um, everything was going along fine for Abraham. They were happy. There was laughter. They were living that happily ever after life. They were on the, the backside of, of God revealing and providing the promised son. All was going well. And then came the voice of God. The voice that, when Abraham heard it previously, offered him the prospect of joy, of hope, of laughter. And now that voice is heard again. It's a journey to Moriah. It's not just an invitation. It's a call to journey to the mountain of sacrifice. That last day, it's pictured there in verse 9 and 10. It's a very dramatic pace that takes place. It's like every movement is captured. Look at verse 9 and 10. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abram built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Do you see these deliberate movements. Verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. Three days to Moriah. I'm sure it seemed maybe like a lifetime. And as Abraham's hand is raised with that knife, as he looks into the eyes of his son, his only son, his beloved son, who'd given him so much laughter. It, it was like, I'm sure, time was standing still. You know, for many people around the world these days, these past weeks, it's been a, it's been a journey to Moriah. Fear and anxiety, altered plans, um, shattered dreams, Soaring death statistics, um, a crashing economy, retirements at risk, an unseen foe, an uncertain future. Three days to Moriah. Abraham's journey to Moriah 
it, it, it's, it's like a metaphor of, of the journey we're on right now. In fact, it's a metaphor, I think, for even our entire lives. It, it's like our lives are, are a series of three-day journeys to Moriah. Uncertainty, potential fear, anxiety, the unexpected happens. It's not the way we would script out life. Three days to Moriah. And just when it, it seems like everything's going fine and, and uh, we have found a little place of normalcy and stability, all of a sudden the, the next chapter of our life turns and, and the words begin, now it came about after these things. I received a text this week from a f- friend of mine who he's on his own personal journey to Moriah. Uh, he's had a series of uh, very serious health challenges that has caused him to lose his, his job, his, his livelihood. Um, financial disaster is looming. He's in a very, very difficult situation, he and his family. This is what he texted me this week. This is by far the most agonizing time I've ever experienced. I've observed many who have counted on God's intervention. And I certainly believe this has occurred personally and previously in my own life. I just don't know what's going to happen now. I love God. I love people. I know Jesus, he wrote. And I'm trying to trust that it will ultimately work out for good. But then he wrote, The terrifying realization is that God may not choose to fix this situation or restore us. A three-day journey to Moriah. It's Jesus who who reminds us in the New Testament, in this world you're going to have tribulation. and, And it seems like that word tribulation and trials and sorrows, uncertainty, fear, anxiety, um, it's part and parcel of life in this world. Every day, we're called to walk a a road to Moriah. And just like Abraham, it too becomes a test of faith. Now, did Abraham pass the test? Well, if you know the story, in flying colors, look at uh, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abram raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And so Abram went, and he took the ram, and he offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abram called the name of the place, and mark it, and mark it well. Verse 14. Abram named the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And then the promise is reiterated, starting in verse 15. um, And joy returns. The mountain of surrender had become the mountain of provision. The Lord will provide. And he did. Now on this this resurrection morning, I think this ancient story of, of Abraham and Isaac and the journey to Moriah has a lot to, to teach us. There's a lot of things here to consider. You see, while the three days to Moriah 
were in some sense agonizingly painful. Even his life being altered seemingly beyond his control. What we are to take away from this passage is that Abraham's faith was not altered. His three days to Moriah were filled with faith and not with fear. See, here was a man who had been given the promise of God just in the chapter before, in chapter 21, verse 22. Through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Abraham believed that. God had promised back when he was 75 years old to go to have a son. He reiterated the promise. The promise came when he was 100 years old. And after Isaac is born in chapter 21, your son, that's who it is. I, I fulfilled my promise. And then in this story, here was the man who so believed that promise of God that it's recorded in verse 5. He told the servants, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. This is a man of faith. In verse 7, here was the man who had such faith in God that when his, his son says, you got the fire, you got the wood, but dad, where's the, where's the offering? And Abraham responds, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. This is the man of whom the apostle Paul wrote in that chapter 4 of Romans that we've studied. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. He was able to deliver. He was able to provide. Here was the man who believed God's word so completely, so solidly, believed the promise of God so completely that he was willing to sacrifice his own son. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God could raise him again to life. Where do we find that? Well, thank you, Lord, for the book of Hebrews. Because it's in the book of Hebrews that we find the thinking of Abraham. It's penned this way in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be named, shall be called. Now look at verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. He reasoned, he considered, he pondered it over, he thought it in his mind. And this gives us some great insight into Abraham's three days to Moriah. What was Abraham thinking of? What was this man thinking of who was carrying the, having the wood and the, and the fire and, and his son on a way to sacrifice his son? Here's what I think Abraham was saying. God, he's going to live. He's going to live. You've promised him. He's the promised heir. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust you. You've always provided. And, and, and every step of that three-day journey, I think Abraham was saying to himself, he's going to live. God, you can raise him. He's going to live. He's going to live. 
And what can we say about Abraham? What, what, what's the lesson for us as a model there for us in Genesis 22 of Abraham's life? Abraham was a believer in resurrection hope. He was a believer in the ultimate provision from God. He's going to live. And that belief in the resurrection so gripped Abraham's heart. He was willing to go to the, the fullest extreme of his obedience to God. Abraham's confidence in God's ability to raise his son up from the dead was so strong. He was, it so controlled his life. The three days to Moriah were filled with faith, not fear. You see, for Abraham, resurrection truth motivated resurrection living. Resurrection truth motivated resurrection living. And the question for us on this Easter morning is, does it for us? Each of us, in some form or fashion, are on a personal journey to Moriah. At times it can be a, a fearful journey. There's a lot of uncertainty, especially now in this world. Great challenges of life, they can disrupt our life. They can alter the, the pleasantness of, of what we wished would happen. Uh, the, the challenges of life can, can rewrite a script that we would rather write and build in joy and laughter and, and fullness and completeness. No, the journey to Moriah for us and every one of us is a journey of faith in the midst of suffering. And as we travel this journey to Moriah, can it be said of us like it was said of Abraham? With respect to the promise of God, they're not wavering in unbelief. Their faith is growing stronger. And they are fully assured that what God has promised, he will faithfully perform it. He will provide at journey's end, God's ultimate provision will be found. Many of you know that uh, when I was young growing up on the farm in, in Nebraska, I raised pigs. Um, and I just, just the other day had someone here from fellowship ask me about that and, and um, said, what, what was that like? Or how? And they were asking questions about farm and raising hogs and it I had to dust my memory off here some 50 years ago. Uh, and, I, and I said, well, you know, it's hard work. I cleaned a lot of hog barns in, in my life. Um, I ground a lot of feed. I, I fed a lot of, a lot of pigs. Um, and, um, and you know what I remember the most? The smell. The smell, the constant smell, the stench of the pigs. But you know what? When those pigs were loaded up in that semi and, and they were taken off to market, and I got that check when I sold those hogs, and I put it in the bank and built up my provision for paying my college tuition one day, I thank God for the provision. In spite of the hard work, in spite of the stench, I thank the Lord he provided for me. God does not promise that our journey on this world is going to be easy. 
He doesn't promise us that it's going to be filled with happiness and all the pleasantness of life. In fact, he tells us there's a lot of things that are going to stink about it. But he does promise to walk with us. He does promise that his presence will never leave us nor forsake us. He promises he'll give us everything we need according to the riches of his grace. He will sustain us day by day. And so as we, we walk that journey to Moriah and we finish the climb to Moriah, he promises that he is the resurrection and the life. And he said, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. That's the glory of Easter morning, of the resurrection truth. And so again, the question this resurrection morning is, is, is Easter just a, a, a cultural event, a kickoff to spring? Or does the truth of Easter powerfully grip our life along our journey to Moriah? Are we so convinced that God will provide, not only in the journey, but in the ultimate provision of life and eternal life? Do we go through this journey of life in spite of the hardships and the sorrows? Are we able to say, he lives, he lives, he lives. And he'll supply and he'll care and he'll watch over me because he's alive. Resurrection truth always motivates resurrection living. Are we walking by faith and not by sight in a God who always provides? You know, this passage in Genesis 22 is not just about this concept of resurrection hope, but ultimately it's about the one who is the resurrection and the life. Genesis 22 is ultimately about that that ultimate son, beloved son of God. It is about that ultimate one, that son who came and gave his life a ransom. About the one who really did die completely, that, that climbed up on that altar and became the burnt offering, the payment for our sins. Ultimately, this story is about Jesus and a father who so loved the world that he gave that son, that only son, that beloved son, Jesus, to take our sin upon himself, to die in our place, to pay completely and fully the penalty that was due us. And then on the third day, to rise again from the dead. Our Savior and our Lord. Do you know him this Easter morning? Have you come to a point in your life where you have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for your eternal salvation? Have you come to him only to provide for you the ultimate gift of eternal life? If you never have, I want to invite you to do it right now. I want you to, to consider not putting your trust in anything that you have done. Not your good works, not your baptism, not your church attendance, which is kind of short these days. Not the giving of your offerings or monies or anything that you're doing. 
I'm inviting you to transfer your trust completely to Jesus and Jesus alone. For he paid the penalty. He died on that altar for you. And he's alive today. I want to invite you, if you have a question on that, to even go to our website, fbcva.life, and, and to our sermon, our online worship page. And, and there's a little link there that says, did you know? Did you know? And you can click on that link and learn a little bit more about what Jesus has done for you. And then would you respond to us and let us know if you've put your trust in a living Savior? You see, folks, this is resurrection morning. Jesus has risen, and he's risen indeed. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have here right now to express our thanks to you. Lord, in this world that is just painfully um, struggling, it needs good news. And Lord, the best news this world could ever have has come from a cemetery outside of Jerusalem, an empty tomb, a risen Savior. So Father, we worship you and we thank you. May today be life-changing for us and for many people. May people come to faith in Jesus. And may those of us who already have put our faith in Jesus rejoice in this resurrection truth and hope that, that motivates resurrection living. While we're journeying to Moriah, Father, thank you that you're journeying with us. And when we arrive there, it'll be a mountain of provision. You have already provided eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and say thank you on this resurrection morning. Amen.